Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Avoiding Chores podcast. I am your host, Jim Sear, and this week we'll just to, we'll do a nice little tour of what's been going on in the outdoor recreation community here and tell you what I've been avoiding chores with over the past few days. So let's get started. And let's start off with the Q&A segment here. This is a collection of comments that's been posted on my various YouTube videos and uh, give a little bit of a more expanded answer. So we've got a question here from uh, Fly Hoovers. And he posted a comment here on one of my Garmin Instinct videos. Uh, so he was really looking for uh, the activity options where when he's setting targets uh, that will automatically stop uh, the activity or the recording when you hit uh, the certain distance. So he's really looking at uh, workout options where you can define a step, distance, heart rate zone, time, calories, etc. And in that workout, typically uh, when you do set up one of those workouts, uh, let's say you go long, for example, uh, you won't record that. So it doesn't necessarily stop automatically. The activity still goes on. It's just that when you hit the end of the step, it won't record. So what we used to recommend people doing is, let's say they're doing 10-in-1 run intervals. And we would just uh, just say to people, just set the laps to like 99 like 99 sets of 10 and ones and you you know hit stop when you're done right uh, if you have five that's great if you have six you have 10 whatever and that's why some sometimes these targets are a little bit tricky it works really good when you're doing um, high intensity interval training where you have very specific steps the other thing you can do is also add a cool down lap and that uh, is something that still requires you to do a manual intervention, but at least the lap is over. Let's say you do 5K, and then you finally hit the distance, and then you can have that cool-down lap step uh, to cool things down. So a couple options there. Uh, let's see here. Another question here was on the Garmin Phoenix, which was, is there a way to input a grid reference to create a waypoint? Answer should be yes. The The thing about the Phoenix line of Garmin... Um, uh, GPS watches is that it is more geared for, uh, I would say, military use. Uh, it has a lot of grid, a lot of uh, d position format, datum mapping options. So if you are in different industries and then the map you use uh, is in different format. So, for example, if I'm just a regular recreation user, I would probably just use the defaults, which what we're used to seeing. Uh, but if I'm doing any type of forestry, search and rescue, that kind of stuff, so I'll be using a UTM NAD83 kind of formatted map, and therefore the positioning, the lat longs, are in a different format. So there are, actually I did take a look on my Phoenix, I still, actually I had it returned by uh, my friend uh, Lorraine uh, earlier in the week, so I was able to just check it out. They do have dozens of grid uh, type of uh, format, so it all, all depends on what you're looking for. And let's see here. Uh, the question here on the Vivo Active 3. Uh, talk about a question about uh, watch faces and and how you how to customize watch faces. This gets uh, down to the fact that the default watch faces that you get with your Vivo Active 3 or Vivo Active 4, Venu, 
some of them are, are kind of rigid. Uh, they do kind of guide you to go towards the Connect IQ online store, which is baked into Garmin Connect uh, with your smartphone, so you can find watch faces there. Garmin has a whole bunch of additional watch faces that they've published in different formats that might be more interesting or a little bit more customizable. I know I the ones that are preloaded on the watch are, are pretty rigid. I don't like them. It is June 6th, 2020, and Nova Scotia is slowly reopening. As I mentioned last time, things are slowly getting up there, and uh, today it marks the big day. A lot more businesses are opening up, and next week uh, we'll have even more. We'll have some return to daycare, which is great for parents uh, who are just about at their wit's end, <laughs> trying to balance work and kids and, and, you know, at least for us on our side, you know, it's, 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 you know, not, not doing the best on either side. But anyway, one of the big things is that we'll have camping. And that's one of the discussions we've been having lately is what we're going to do for summer activity. So June 15th is kind of when campgrounds are supposed to be opening. June uh, or the, the next week, June 8, 9, 10 is basically they're going to stagger uh, campground reservations for the provincial system. Now, an interesting thing here, if we take a look at campgrounds in Nova Scotia, obviously, uh, they haven't opened up travel between uh, the provinces, so it's pretty much a staycation this year for a lot of people. I don't think that's going to change. It may change maybe later in the summer, but I don't really expect it to do it right now. So, uh, for example, uh, we have national campgrounds, so like I mentioned last time, Kijimukujik National Park, there's no front country camping this year because they're doing renovations on the washrooms and showers, replacing them all with brand newer facilities, which actually looks pretty nice. So therefore, the only option that you have at Keji is backcountry, and that's about it. That's not a lot of stuff. Actually, it's a lot. Of, they, they updated their website uh, last week, and they really shut down pretty much everything. They kind of shut down all their um, group events, uh, canteen shut down. There's a few other things that shut down. So it's it, if you want to go to Keji and not see a lot of people, that probably is your best bet this year. Cape Breton Highlands, of course, is uh, looks like it's still there. I haven't seen or heard any major updates on that. Uh, also, on the provincial side, like I said, starting next week, they're going to stagger the online reservation. So if you want your eye on a specific campground, uh, you're going to have to get up early or get up at midnight to do your online reservation, like either on Monday or Tuesday and that kind of stuff. Uh, we have not decided at all what we're doing. Uh, we would like to do something with some friends. We also like to go to a provincial campground that kids got something to do. But then again, when you go to the provincial side, there's a whole bunch of rules. What's going on? No visitors, campers only. They're going to, I believe, stagger the sites out. So you're not going to have anybody next to you, which is interesting because the provincial campgrounds, by and large, are very spacious and generous campsites to begin with. So they're going to, you know, spread things out a bit. Uh, you're you're going to have... Uh, a very uh, 
pretty quiet, quiet time. Uh, but there's a whole bunch of stuff. It's, it's, they're going to keep down some controls, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see because some of these campgrounds, last couple of years, they, they made them to self-registration campgrounds, so I'm not sure if they're going to, how they're going to enforce things uh, with, with that. And then, of course, we have our private campground owners and cabins. Uh, interesting to hear about what's going to happen there. There's uh, more particularly this year, I'm more focused into cabins. Specifically, there's an outdoor or off-the-grid uh, cabin establishment up in Cape Breton around the Waikakama region, Iron Mountain, I believe it's called. Uh, it looks like it's totally percent, 100% off-the-grid and a very generous uh, restaurant, lounge, pub area for the people there, access to a whole bunch of trails and stuff like that. So keeping an eye on that, uh, maybe prefer to do that. Otherwise, I'll be hauling out the Kodiak canvas, uh, big, big tent <laughs> that I use. It's a monster, but we're going to do it for a couple nights, a good weekend, long weekend. That'll be a pretty good thing here. Avoiding chores, segment one. Uh, we're going to talk about kites today <laughs> this is probably a topic you probably uh, wouldn't expect from me but uh, this is something that i've been kind of started uh last summer this was an impulse buy purchase we were down at ll bean down in freeport maine and uh, we were in the camping section couldn't find anything to buy at the very last minute uh the kites kind of popped out i was previously researching them uh, this was before i uh, before i picked up a dji mavic drone i was actually looking at well they used to take aerial photography with kites and then i got into this whole rabbit hole on youtube on kites but then i kind of zeroed in on a manufacturer and with a couple of kites that kind of was in the back of my mind but kind of forgot about it until i went to llb and i saw it right there Price point was well within where I wanted it, which was, I think it was around $25 or $27. Anyway, I picked up the Pocket Flyer. This is a, I don't know, a four square foot kind of, or five square foot kind of kite. It's a parafoil, meaning that there are no solid or rigid parts to it. It's all just fabric. And it came with 200 feet of line. And it comes in a very compact package. You can actually fit it in your back jean pocket. Uh, very compact, very flashy colors. Pick one up. And uh, the benefit with these parafoil, and, and let me describe you what it is. Just take a sheet of paper uh, and basically hold it up portrait format. And on each side in the back, you have two little loops, kind of like two channels. And that's how the par parafoil kind of works when it gets into these baffles or I don't know, these things. Anyway, uh, the point is that it's very easy to take off, doesn't take a lot of wind, and also provides a very stable flight. And because of the size, does not drag or pull uh, as harder as larger kites. So therefore, it's actually pretty good for little kids. So if you're afraid of getting pulled off or letting go or big push, you don't actually have that problem. So I've been flying it here on and off here in Nova Scotia. Obviously, it's nice little wind. It's always breezy, always a spot to do it. So I've been finding uh, going to the beach uh, when I'm happy to, to be out is actually a fun time. And I've been uh, having such a relatively good time with it. I decided to go and order, I had some Amazon credits, uh, order some uh, the next version up, which happens to be the Bora 7. 
and I wanted something just a little bit bigger. Uh, and still it's a parafoil, it's a different design of parafoil, but this one's a little bit bigger. It's a seven square foot kite, so it's a little bit bigger. Uh, it does have a little bit more of a pull towards it. Uh, so I'm just gonna be very interesting to see in the next couple weeks uh, once I get my hands on it. I, th I just got a notification that it got shipped here, so hopefully I will get it in, in a couple weeks time and I'll be able to, to do a little update or at least post something on the website. So yeah, overall, and you know, I haven't really touched kites in about, I don't know, 30 years or so, and I, I found it to be quite pleasant, you know, and the kite is actually very easy to set up, and there's a couple things. Obviously, there is a right way and a wrong way to fly the kite. Got to have the kite lettering facing you. If it's inside out, it doesn't uh, fly as well, obviously. But once you have it there, you really don't need a lot of wind. You don't need to, you know, lay it down the ground and go like 30 feet and do a running start. You can just literally, if the wind, if the wind is strong enough, uh, you can just launch it from your hands. Uh, the wind, obviously, if you're able to fly a drone, that's pretty much the range where the wind is supposed to be. If it's a little bit windy conditions, if it's too windy for a drone, it's too windy for the kite just because of the, uh, the size and, and the line, the tension in the line. But otherwise... You know, I'm having fun flying a kite, and also the kid, uh, she likes it, so it's always a little fun. And plus, like I said, doesn't have that big drag or pull to it, at least the pocket flyer. Uh, so, so it's pretty good, for, fun for her. So, anyway, I'll post a link here in the show notes so you can go check that out. And another uh, thing that's going in the outdoor re recreation world here locally, this weekend we have the free fishing weekend. Basically what that means is to encourage people to try some sports fishing in uh, lakes or rivers. Uh, this weekend, of course by the time you listen to this, it will have passed, but uh, they basically will encourage people to go out and try fishing this weekend. And we don't have to worry about uh, getting a license and all the paperwork for that. Uh, limits and um, catches, that kind of stuff will still apply. So it's a nice opportunity to get people out there. Uh, they've done a quite a bit of work here on the, the, the sport fishing website. They have a very nice interactive map. I was going over that because somebody was asking a question online about uh, barrier-free access, which is basically if you're slow mobility restricted or in a wheelchair. And on the interactive map, they had a very nice view, including pictures of all the barrier-free uh, places that you can go and do some fishing. And there's and also serves as a boat launch or kayak launch. So I was going through all that, devouring that, and making making note of these locations. So it's very nice that they're using the mapping tools uh, to provide some of that information and also uh, all the other types of fishing you can do. They, they they do a nice job here as to tell you what's being stocked, what's not stocked uh, from the, the from the fish farms, I guess. And um, so, yeah, it's pretty interesting that way. Into fishing, I'm not really into fishing, to be quite honest with you. It's not something I did as a youth, uh, but I do see, you know, I do appreciate the people who like to do that kind of stuff. Avoiding chores, segment two. Well, completed my first uh, week or big week of uh, returning to some biking. I don't know why I've been holding off on getting back on the bike here. I don't know, maybe it's a seasonal thing that I really wanted to get in. Uh, there was really nothing that was prohibiting me <laughs> to, to get back on the bike and, and get some saddle sores here. But back on the bike, did a couple of nice rides out on uh, the trails. I prefer rails to trails. 
uh, because I ride a fat bike, which is a bike that you don't see very often at around here. I, do, I am seeing a little bit more, uh, but it's not uh, a, a, the bike of choice if for those wanting to go into the mountain bike. And, and you're probably asking yourself, well, why did you get a fat bike to begin with? Well, I got, I got it last year. And uh, I wanted something that I could just handle more rugged trails. And I think back over the few years where I did take out the bike and did some pretty epic journeys down, you know, uh, for those following me for a little while. A number of years ago, I had set up a uh, challenge down in Kitchimacoojic National Park, part of a geotourism program we had down there and basically you had to do a 32 kilometer out and back bike ride on a dirt road and or the fire road it was called anyway the road was in pretty rough shape big rocks uh, so you would be you know if you didn't have anything but a high-end mountain bike you would have a lot of difficult difficulty doing it and then I think about all the other trails I like loose gravel sand rocks uh, so at the time when fat bikes were starting to like become popular and vendors were starting to make their own version or basically taking a mountain bike and just putting fat tires on it, um, that was kind of what I was leaning towards. And since then, you know, I think it, things kind of quieted down uh, that rush to make these these, these poorly designed fat bikes to kind of suffer. You don't really see a lot of them now. Uh, and those that you see are fairly expensive. Uh, no joke about it. Uh, luckily, I found a 2018 version of a Garneau, Gros-Louis de, and uh, picked it up last year. Had a pretty good discount on it, so it's pretty much mid-range. All the, well, some of the reviews I saw on it, basically it's a mid-range bike, but above average parts, which is good for me and it does exactly what it's supposed to do it's a very decent bike uh, when you're on loose gravel sand rocks you know the fact that it doesn't have any shocks because you have these really thick tires uh, balloon tires that you that you're supposed to play around with with the pressure a lot of people will say oh you got to be under 10 pounds or five pounds or whatever it is uh, those low temperatures really are dependent if you're going to do the winter biking and that's really what the fat bike was designed for was to, to ride on snow bloom trails which i haven't had a chance uh to because i was well, working in calgary for most of the winter uh but uh once you know if, if opportunity arises where there's a groom trail where i can uh, ride the fat bike i would do it you'll see this mostly in national parks starting to develop kuchikubuak here in new brunswick They've been offering uh, fat biking for a couple of years now. And basically places where you have snow, uh, they've slowly established the fat biking environment or rental so that people can at least enjoy that part of the activity in the winter. And of course, uh, the uh, I was working in the previous winter. I was working in Quebec City. And uh, I saw a lot of people ride their fat bikes in the winter. It was uh, pretty interesting. Maybe in that kind of subconsciously made me want to buy one while I was because I did get it in Quebec City uh, later in the summer. So, but uh, I've been gearing up the bike. Uh, I kind of like the touring side of thing side of things. I'm not into the racing. Not to say that the bike is not fast. Once it gets its momentum, it is pretty fast, pretty big tires, but I like uh, taking some nice big, big jaunts. So right now I've been building on my workout routine, which is basically getting my butt <laughs> enforced or, or stiffened up there so I can at least ride for, you know, a couple hours. Uh, also building up volume. So I think I'm up to like 15 kilometers, which is not, you know, 
doesn't seem big, uh, but basically I've been I've been working on uh, an hour, an hour and a half, kind of long rides, and then slowly building that up over time. A um, couple gear items uh, I, I've gone, uh, I, I've been ditching the backpack because I find it more comfortable to be more free when I'm riding, but I do want to carry a few things. So I kind of invested into a bike roll, which is a dry bag that you hook up to the front handlebar. So it's not like a bag that you attach on the seat or on the sides. Uh, it's pretty interesting. I like it. Uh, I've been experimenting what I can put in it. You can't put really a lot. It's a 10 liter bag, but you can fit a few things in there. And you can fit, for example, a compact camping chair. You know, all the, the ones that fold up really small with these little thin aluminum rods, those, those things, you can fit that in. You can fit in a jet boil, an extra rain suit, and some food, and was something else. Like a bladder, maybe some water if you really wanted to. Now that starts to get a little bit heavy and does affect a little bit of the handlebars, but uh, I've been kind of riding a little light with it when I started out here the last couple weeks. And uh, I kind of like, I've been putting basically my water bladder into the roll bag. So uh, the tube, I just kind of thread it out and, you know, take a sip from that. I find that very more, more convenient than a water bottle or, you know, when I used to have the water, the bladder, on my back on the backpack so that's a little bit good ordered some uh some clothing <laughs> last year i didn't ride with uh biking shorts i think this year i'm gonna do it just need that little bit of a uh, little chamois protection in there but hopefully uh i'll get that uh, next week and i'll be heading out and building out the kilometers And that's it for this episode of the Avoiding Chores podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed it. And also this is my second week of using the whole Anchor app to record and distribute the podcast. And it's been an interesting challenge. Transition the old feed to the new platform, but things seem to be working out pretty good. And of course, if you have any questions or feedback or questions you'd like me to answer for the Q&A section, you can leave me a message. Go to anchor.fm slash avoiding chores and should be a leave a message button that you can leave a message there. Hopefully we'll get the boys in here. We've been trying to do the live recording here, but we just need to get some scheduling. I think we'll eventually get it. We'll eventually get it here. Anyway, folks, you can check out uh, the latest content on avoidingchores.com. The store link will bring you to the Amazon store page. So anything that I've described uh, during the podcast is there so you can check it out and do some research on your end or you, if you want to check out some tutorials you can also find it on the site or on the micro site which is gps.training and that will give you a list of all tutorials I've been doing lately which the latest upload was the Vivo Active 4 or Venu and I forget what it was but uh, that's the latest video oh, it was on workouts no it was something I can't remember what it was it's all a blur to me these days uh, I'll blame it on the corona but anyway folks that's it and we'll talk to you guys uh, next time